When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. This is episode 65 of the podcast. So glad you could join me for it. We are going to talk a ton of world juniors today. U.S. and Canada camps opening this week. More teams being announced in terms of their camp rosters or their preliminary rosters this week. So we're going to talk a lot about that. There are some other things, too, in, in our question and answer period. We'll talk a little bit about some prospects in the AHL. Also uh, wanted to talk a little bit about the World Junior A Challenge, which just got underway in Cornwall, Ontario, featuring a lot of USHL stars representing the U.S. So we're going to get to all of that. But before we do, want to always remind you to Please uh, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't yet on your app of choice. And while you're there, leave a kind rating or review. It really does help uh, get the word out about the podcast. It also helps me know how I'm doing. And it just is uh, very helpful in general. So uh, if you want to do that, please go ahead and do so. It really does help this time of year as we get more and more people uh, finding the podcast, especially around World Junior Time. So uh, any help you can provide is great. Also, you can always watch this podcast on flowhockey.tv. Just look for the Talking Hockey Sense uh, banner, or also you can check out uh, the clips that we have throughout the week on on Flow Hockey. And if you haven't yet, check out Flow Hockey. See the offerings that we have there. A lot to subscribe to. A lot of great games in the USHL, college hockey, and the ECHL, among other places. So make sure you check that out. And the big news in the hockey world over the weekend, if you didn't see before we get into the World Juniors, is that Yarmir Yager is back again. The 50-year-old, the ageless wonder, two assists in his first game. And oddly enough, the Tip Sport Extra Liga in the United States, if you want to watch in the U.S. or Canada, you can watch it on HockeyTV.com, which of course is now connected with Flow Hockey. So go ahead and subscribe to Hockey TV if you want to watch Yarmir Yager. Uh, but boy, is it great to see him back on the ice. It doesn't matter. Uh, you know, any way you can see one of the legends of the game, the guy that really is the tie that binds so many of us together and ties me to my childhood watching hockey. I mean, I still have my Yarmir Yager rookie cards from back in the day. So to see that he's back uh, and the passion that he has for both his team and the game itself, I mean, it, it doesn't get better than that. It really doesn't. But uh, Yarmir Yager is back, and so the hockey world is right again. So great to see Yogg's back on the ice. All right, let's get to the World Junior Talk because there is a lot to get to. Team USA's camp announced just after we recorded our podcast last week. So we got to some of the little bit bits and pieces there, but I want to drill in a little bit more in-depth on Team USA. We'll also talk about Team Canada and their roster as well. Some very interesting happenings in their 
training camp right now. So plenty to talk about there, but a very good team that Canada has. But we'll start with the USA because that's where I'm based. And that's the team that I'll be covering most closely at the World Juniors when I head out to Moncton uh, just after Christmas. So I'll be getting in on Boxing Day. So I might miss Team USA's first game, but we'll see the rest of them the rest of the way. So a lot of uh, fun coming up. But USA's camp opening in Plymouth, Michigan this week, and they will have about six days of practice to try to get everything figured out. They should be making cuts uh, fairly soon after they start camp. I think they have a really good idea of who they want, but they just got to get those guys in that environment. They'll get a few scrimmages in, um, some inter-squad games to kind of get those competitive juices flowing and see what they have. Because I think that they they pretty much know the top of their lineup, but it's really that back half of their lineup that they have to settle in on. You know, I think the defense is pretty well set. They've got a couple of battles, maybe. Um, a couple of guys that are just, you know, they're trying to see what they have there. But uh, in general, I think that they they have a really good idea of, of the team that they want to take. They've, they've gone through a summer camp. They've gone through some other, uh, you know, they've gone through the first half of the season. Everybody's been evaluating throughout the year. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the returnees, some of the decisions that were made for players not to be in camp, and then also some of the camp battles to watch. So uh, as we get into it, USA could have as many as eight returning players on their roster. That includes Andrew Oak, who didn't actually play a game uh, in the last World Junior Tournament, but he was in uh, on Team USA's roster as the number three goaltender. That's the the role that he's likely competing for right now as well. Um, but also Caden Mbarico, who was the starting goaltender, Sean Barons and Jack Peart, who were on the back end um, and kind of platooned a little bit. They, they, they traded off places a few times, got some power play time. Um, and, and then Luke Hughes, who, of course, was you know the star of the tournament until he got hurt in the quarterfinal. They'll also have Red Savage at the center position, Charlie Stramel and Logan Cooley all back. Um, and Stramel, I think, is uh, a, a little bit more on the bubble, similar to Oak, where um, he's got to earn his spot on the roster. And we'll have to wait and see exactly how that plan plays out. But we'll get to him in just a second. I think the biggest surprise of the players that were not invited to camp for me was returning player Sasha Pasajov. He's been averaging close to two points a game since he joined Sarnia in a trade earlier this season. And they decided not to take him. And I think that part of it is because of the pace. Uh, this is a U.S. team that wants to play fast. They want to be um, a little bit more pacey. And and that's not really Pasajov's game. He's a much more deliberate player. He's a little bit slower. You know, the skating isn't as strong, but he's a very intelligent offensive mind, which is why I thought that they would have a spot for him, at least on their power play. And the fact that they did bring 18 forwards into camp and he wasn't one of them is pretty surprising. But I think that that speaks more to how solidly they felt they liked their top nine. Um, and I think that, you know, guys like Will Smith and others that are that are younger, that are quicker, um, did edge Sasha, Sasha Passajov out. I personally would have liked to have seen him in camp to see how he adapted to that environment. But that's the way it goes. I think the coaching staff had a really good feel for for the group that they wanted and the style they wanted to play. And so a guy like Sasha Passajov ends up on the outside looking in. Ty Voigt was another guy. You know, he's an undersized scorer. He's the leading scorer in the OHL. He's had a tremendous season. You know, I would have liked to have seen him in the camp environment. Uh, but I also think that he was another guy that if he wasn't going to be part of their top six, he wasn't going to be part of their team. So it wasn't like he was competing for one of the 18 forward spots in camp. He was really competing for about two of them and uh, did not get either one of those. So we'll have to wait and see how Team USA's top six looks. I think after their top line, you know, there's there's a pretty precipitous drop off in terms of the the skill level, but it doesn't mean that they're not going to be able to score. I do think that they're going to be able to uh, 
to score and, and score in bunches. So, um, you know, especially in their group, they don't have the strongest group right now. I think the Canada is actually in the stronger group where they've got Sweden and the Czech Republic on their side of the bracket, which is really you know, that Czech team should be very good. But the U.S. has, you know, Latvia, Slovakia, Finland, um, and we'll have to wait and see what Slovakia's roster looks like. They could be missing some of their most important players. And if they are, that really hurts their chances. And then Finland is not as strong as it has been in years past, but always a threat regardless of the skill level on their team. So something to keep a, keep an eye on there. But I do think that this U.S. team, the way that they're building that team, you know, you want to beat Canada. You want to have some size. You want to have some physicality. You want to have some some speed. You know, the U.S. beat Canada in the gold medal game a couple of years ago based on just overwhelming forecheck and, and just their speed was too much for the Canadian defense. And it really disrupted everything Canada was doing. I think that's the exact blueprint they're going to try to to, to, to put in, put forth here. The difference is they aren't going to have guys like Trevor Zegris um, who, who, you know, could just take over the tournament as he did in the bubble in 2020. So something uh, to, to be aware of as we kind of look at this roster construction. But, you know, the, the returning players, I think, you know, I mentioned Stramel and Oak are probably the guys that are in the most tenuous situation. I don't think there's any doubt for me that, that Barons, Peart, Peart and uh, and Hughes will be on the final roster. I think Red Savage is a lock as well. And Logan Cooley's their number one center. So no, no doubt there. Um, but beyond that, you look kind of down the depth of the lineup. And, and the center battle is going to be interesting because you've got Chaz Lucius, who, who was actually on the initial roster from last December, but did not, uh, did not go to the rescheduled World Juniors. So they get Chaz Lucius back. We talked a little bit last week about his health. Is he going to be able to uh, go? Is he going to be a full go? Are they going to be able to rely on him? Do they have enough faith in him to be able to stay healthy and be um, a piece of their team? And that's something that we're going to have to just wait and see. It's you, There's really not a lot you can do about that. There's not a lot that you can plan for uh, when you've got a player that's had an injury history, but they need a player like Chaz Lucius because he is so dynamic and they don't have that secondary scoring. Um, it's just that I, I just feel like their drop off is, is a bit stronger. Um, the question is also, will Cutter Goche move to center or will he stay um, on Logan Cooley's wing? with Jimmy Snuggerud, a reunification of a line that was so dominant at the under-18 level. And two guys, you know, you've got Cooley, who's the dynamic playmaker. You've got Snuggerud, who's a trigger man. You've got Goche, who's a trigger man. You know, are there enough pucks to go around? Should you move Goche into that center position and maybe move Lucius to the wing? There are a lot of different things there. Um, you know, two guys that I think will end up on the wing instead of center – Kenny Connors, um, Will Smith, you know, Will Smith has been a center for the national under 18 team this year. And, you know, I, I just think that he's probably going to end up on the wing at this tournament, not to say that he's not a good center, but he's just not, um, you know, I think the physical readiness for him is not quite there in terms to be, to, to do all the things that a center needs to do in this tournament. Then after that, you're looking at like Red Savage, Charlie Stramel, Noah Laba, who was uh, invited to camp, Gavin Brindley, has gotten some looks at the center position at Michigan this year, plays a really pacey game, um, you know, has that speed factor that I think will speak to them. Jack Devine, another guy that, you know, can play on, on the wing, can play in the middle if you need him to. Um, so there's a lot of different options there for Team USA. But, I, you know, I think after those top two centers, if it is Cooley and Lucius, then you've kind of got to figure out, well, where is our next best guy? Um, you know, who is going to be the best at, at driving play, at giving, you know, and I think – 
You look at a guy like Red Savage, it's he's a much more attacking power penalty killing um kind of winger or, or center rather. You know, he's got that aggressive style. Is that the kind of guy that you want in the number three position? Do you want a guy with size like Charlie Stramel who can do a little bit of everything? You know, do you trust him enough to to drive uh drive a line? Um Noah Laba has got kind of that more rugged style. He's a bit more physical. He's probably more of that fourth line center um if he's gonna make the team at all. Um, so, so yeah, so, I mean, those are the questions that the U S has to answer in this camp. And those are the things that I think the reason they invited 18 forwards when they're going to have to cut it down to 13, five cuts is a lot to make at this stage of, of the, of the process of the decision process, but USA didn't have a natural camp. They had their summer camp was a combined camp with the team that they had to pick for the summer. So it really wasn't. Uh, the summer world junior. So it really wasn't a natural camp where you're able to really focus in on the guys that you want to have for this team because they were trying out for the other team as well. So it made it a little bit different and a little difficult for team USA to kind of get where, where they needed to go in terms of um, everything that they were doing with their, uh, with their forward group. So that's going to be a, a big question. I think, you know, we look at, you know, how is Team USA going to be built? I think they do want a fourth line that's going to be more of that matchup, grinding, physical group. And they have a lot of good options for, for that in camp. But it's just a question of who who ends up down there. Is it Laba? Is it Stramel? Jack Devine? Kenny Connors? Ryan Leonard? Cam Lund? I mean, you know, I don't think that you look at a guy like Cam Lund, I don't think that he's necessarily that grinded out type player. He's a big forward. He's got some size. He can score. So maybe you do want him in that role. Um, Sam Lipkin, who plays for Rand Pecknold at Quinnipiac, you know, is he going to be able to have that motor to play? You know, he's such a, a high end scorer in the USHL last year. He's kind of been a more of a middle six guy um, and, and even a top of the lineup player. But can he play that grinding style? I think he's on the bubble. Tyler Boucher, what do you do with him? He's going to be really interesting. I think discipline is probably the biggest question that he has to answer in camp by not taking penalties in the scrimmages, by not you know taking runs at people. Um, he is a physical player. You want him to play to that identity. You need players like that that are going to play that hard-nosed style, but you also need to, to play contained because you can't get into penalty trouble in this tournament. It can really flip your tournament around. It can get you in real big trouble. And so that's why a guy like Tyler Boucher – who's the Ottawa Senators prospect, a top 10 pick. You know, I think he is actually more close to the bubble of this team because of that disciplinary kind of situation. They want to be disciplined. You know, Rand Pecknold talked uh, to NHL.com recently this week about how important character was on this team, how important it was to sacrifice. And that's something that I think is going to be really interesting to watch, you know, in these roster decisions. You know, you have to have guys that are willing to play a role that's a little foreign to them. You have to let them kind of go into to different modes and, and find out what their strengths are in those modes. Putting a World Junior team together is really difficult because you've got to get gelled very quickly. You've got to do it fast. And then you've got to continually improve. You've got to continually build. You don't want to have your best games at the beginning of the tournament and slowly degrade. You want to make sure that you are ramping up. So that's all part of this camp process. It can't all be all full go all the time. It's got to be a little bit more of a ramping up so that you're when you get to those later stages, you're playing your best hockey. So that's going to be fascinating to watch as well over the process, not of the camp, but of the tournament to see if USA is able to really make some some uh, some some waves there. 
When we look at the blue line, so that that's the forward group. That's you know, there's a pretty large bubble there. Again, you got to make five cuts on that team. I think one guy that I didn't mention is on the bubble that maybe some people thought is Jackson Blake. And I think that Jackson Blake, they really like him. They are going to probably put him very high in their lineup. He plays at the University of North Dakota. You know, he's 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 uh he's got he's got good numbers this year. He's been able to produce. I think they're looking at him as a potential top six option, and that's what pushed guys like Sasha Pasajov and Ty Voigt out of the picture because Jackson Blake played so well this year. And if you would have asked me at the beginning of the season if I thought Jackson Blake, and actually my buddy Brad Schlossman did ask me at the beginning of the season if I thought Jackson Blake would be on the team, I said no, I didn't think so. But he's played well enough at North Dakota where he's been a consistent scorer. I think that that's what USA is hoping that he can do for them. Um, it's a big jump. It is a huge jump to go from being a top scorer to the uh, to the World Juniors, top scorer in college or junior hockey to the World Juniors. I can't stress enough how big of a jump that is. And so that's the thing that the U.S. is going to have to be prepared to 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 manage is is you know who is going and when are they going. They have to make these adjustments. And we mentioned Rand Pecknold. He's talking about character. He's talking about all those important things. Another thing that that they have to you know, kind of be aware of quickly is how much you have to make adjustments over the course of this tournament, how you can't get stuck in one lane and just never change because, and that's one thing that I do, you know, I, I don't really have a concern about that. They're veteran coaches. They understand the game. They're going to be good at that, but it's just this world junior tournament is so different. And there isn't a coach on the bench that's been at this, at this tournament before um, that, you know, is going to be able to kind of help guide some of that, um, you know, some of that, uh, uh, just you know the 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 knowledge and the and the wherewithal of of here's what needs to happen when or here's how we have to prepare for this because it isn't like preparing for a weekend in college and I know that that's you know, Rand Pecknold doesn't need to be told that he's an experienced coach he's coached in international tournaments before just not the World Juniors so um, that'll be interesting to see when it comes to the blue line we want to move there I think that they're pretty well set and the three guys that you know have to really ascend to a certain level in order to make this team in the camp process is Seamus Casey, Luke Middlestat, and Aiden Hershuk. You know, I think that they brought um, enough defensemen in, but I really do think that they probably are close to having their seven. They've got a couple of guys that are, you know, that are right shot players. They've got, you know, Luke Hughes who can play on the right side or normally does play on the right side as a left shot defenseman. You know, so where does everybody kind of fall from there? We've talked a lot about already that there's just a lot of similarities. I mean, the three guys that I mentioned are five foot ten, five foot eleven defensemen that move pucks, and they've got a lot of those already. I don't think anybody's nudging out Lane Hudson from that group. You know, Ryan Chesley, even though he doesn't have the production this year at Minnesota, is a quality defender, and so he's you know, he's probably going to play some some meaningful minutes there. Sean Barons and Jack Peart have World Junior experience and are confident puck movers. You know, so those are the guys that you're competing with. And then you've got Shai Booyam, who's a, a big guy and has a, you know, he's got a chance to be, you know, uh, uh, probably a little bit further down the lineup than he would normally play at, at Denver, uh, just based on where where he's kind of at right now. But, I mean, this is a group that has a lot of puck moving capabilities already. So I think that those three guys that I mentioned are are less likely to make the team. And it's really a shame for Seamus Casey, too. But, I mean, he, again, he could pop up, have a big camp, change change some minds. But I think that those are the guys that have the, the taller uphill climb because USA just has so many similar players already. I do think they're going to go with that 13-7 split, so it's not like there's going to have that eighth defenseman yet. 
You always want to have that extra forward to kind of plug and play. I think that Ryan Leonard and Gavin Brindley are two of the guys that are probably in that 13th forward kind of mix more than anybody, um, you know, because they can kind of be plugged and played in a lot of different places. Um, and so that helps your, your versatility definitely helps your cause as a, as a 13th forward on the blue line. It's just, what do we have? Can we get some balance? It's not going to be a very big blue line. None of these guys would help in that regard. That's kind of why I view them as potentially on the outside looking in. Meanwhile, the goaltending position, um, you know, Caden Embarico has made a really good last impression on potentially taking over the starting job. And I think it is in flux because I think if you were to ask a few weeks ago, Trey Augustine had the inside edge on being the starting goalie for this team, and he still may. Um, he's an under-18 goalie playing very well at the National Team Development Program, actually has a, a save percentage north of 930, which is really rare in that program because they play such a demanding schedule. And um, they've had a three-goalie rotation, too, so he hasn't played a ton of games, but to have a 930 or a greater save percentage at the NTDP is pretty rare. And often those guys that do have those higher-level save percentages, they do get the call to the World Junior Team. So we're going to see... Trey Augustine, I'm pretty sure, on this team. Um, and then also you've got Caden Embarico, who had a great last impression, as I said, had a 40-save shutout in his last game at CC before he left for camp. That's a great way to remind people, hey, I was the starter of this team last year. I had a really good first half of the tournament. Yes, it was a bad quarterfinal, but you know I can still be a guy, guy for this team. Goaltending is not going to be a strength, no matter who they put in net. It's not going to be a strength. It's not going to be a strength for a lot of teams. There are not a lot of great goaltenders in this tournament or high-level, high-prospect goaltenders like last year we had Jesper Wallstedt and Sebastian Kosa. Um, you know, that's not going to be the case this season. So it's who's going to emerge, which goalie is going to play better at the right time. Those are the types of things that we're talking about when we talk about Team USA and, and what to do with the goaltending position. That leaves Tyler Muselik and Andrew Oak, who are both in camp. I think they're decidedly the third, you know, just fighting for that third goalie spot. Neither has had a particularly strong season. They both kind of played in a platoon role with with Oak even playing less than than Muselik, uh, who's in a in a in a tandem at UNH. So you know Muselik, oddly enough, is the only drafted goaltender of this group. But I think there's a pretty good chance that he's you know he's either the third goalie or not on the team. So like that's that's the crazy thing about this. Augustine will get drafted this year, possibly in the the early mid rounds. You know he's not doesn't have the uh, the prototypical 6263 size but he is a good 6 foot goaltender and he is a little bit bigger than um uh than Embarico, which does you know potentially give him a chance to be part of that so there's a lot there for USA to digest there are a lot of play, you know cuts that they're going to have to make they got to make three cuts on D they got to make five at the forward position and then they've got to make um uh one at the goaltending position and really it's the you know kind of the lowest impact decision that they have is what to do about the number three goalie because I think Embarico and Augustine are far and away the top two guys unless you know somebody just has a miraculous camp and and can't allow a goal and they put somebody else in there so there's a lot to kind of digest for the coaching staff but it's mostly at the forward position and on defense but I think you know looking at it as the team as Team USA is kind of getting constructed here you know I think that they have a really good a mix of players. I like I like where they're at. I think that they have, you know, especially in their group stage, they should be able to get through that relatively unscathed. Um, will they face enough adversity over the course of the tournament for when they do play the better teams? We'll have to wait and see. But all in all, a really good look at, at Team USA. 
All right, so we're going to move on to Team Canada now, and their camp is already underway. They started on Friday, and they are going to make their cuts, I think, um, early this week. So they are going to have their team decided pretty soon after this podcast is is up and recorded. Um, but I did want to just leave, you know point out a few things about this team because, I mean, Canada is going to come into this tournament a decisive favorite, um, a, a, a heavy favorite, or at least should. Um, we've talked a lot about the absence of Russia and that kind of shifts the competitive balance. Now, the good thing for Canada, I think this is a good thing, is that they are going to play in a tougher group. I think Czech team is going to be very good. I think Sweden is going to be good enough. You know, will they beat Canada? Possibly not. But I, I think that they are teams that will at least push the Canadian roster. Um, but this Canadian team got a huge boost last week when three NHL players were released to the team. That's Brent Clark from the Los Angeles Kings, Shane Wright of the Seattle Kraken, and then Dylan Gunther from the Arizona Coyotes. All three of those guys have played in the NHL this season. They have you know, had some success early on. Now they're with Team Canada. They have an opportunity to play in the World Juniors. I, I wrote about these guys and, and about the fact that this allows their teams a little bit more time to make decisions about what is best in their best interest for the remainder of the season. Some of these guys might go to the World Juniors, and they might go back to the junior, to the junior ranks. I think in Gunther's case, he'll probably stay with Arizona, but I think the other two guys, there is still that possibility that they go back to junior, back to the OHL after this tournament is over. But either way, you get guys with NHL experience. It helps your team. They, they, they're they used to the, the the world junior pace, which is probably as close to NHL pace as you can get outside of the NHL. I think those games move incredibly fast. They're physical. They're They're intense. So they they more closely mimic the NHL than say even the AHL or 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 junior hockey, college hockey. I mean that the World Juniors is just when you get the best of the best and you consolidate them, then all of a sudden the level raises closer to an NHL level. So very uh, uh, a very good Canadian team got better with those those in the mix. Also, if you hadn't heard, Adam Fantilli put on an absolute show in their first exhibition game. They're playing some Canadian University All Stars. Adam Fantilli had two goals in that first scrimmage. I think that he looks like, you know, a, a guy that maybe some people thought was on the bubble. I think he's got to be on their team. Um, I thought that from the beginning. And it also looks like both Fantilli and Connor Bedard are going to play wing in this tournament, not center. So the top two draft prospects, not going to be playing their natural position, but we did see Bedard play a wing in the last World Juniors and had some su- success there. Fantilli, I think you can kind of put him anywhere and he's going to find a way to make an impact. Both those guys looking really good. Um, according to Mark Masters from TSN, who has been following Team Canada and a, and a great follow on Twitter, at Mark H. Masters, um, and also a great guy, by the way. Um, he is uh, following Team Canada throughout their camp, and they've kind of had a, a revolving door of lines. They're, 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 they're making some changes, but in their first exhibition game against the Canadian University Sport, they, they didn't dress... Um, a, a number of players, and these are players that are you know don't have anything to prove. They're on the roster, um, and that's Zach Ostapchuk, who who was on the team last year, Shane Wright, Connor Bedard, Nathan Gaucher, uh, Logan Stankoven, Dylan Gunther, Ethan Del Mastro, Olin Zellweger, and Brant Clark. So all those guys did not play. So you got Del Mastro, Zellweger, Clark. Del Mastro and Zellweger were on the team last year. Clark was not, but he's an NHL player, so you're not going to see him. What's going to be interesting is what the rest of the roster looks like, because I think you're looking right there at Team at Team Canada's top six, their top D pairing, and then one half of their second D pairing. 
with Clark probably in that second one because Delmastro and Zellweger look like they're going to be a, a pair together. But then yesterday um, in that uh, in that U Sports game, and they've they've changed things around um, a little bit since then as well. But you know they that everybody else played, so you know you're looking at guys like who's gonna who's gonna make the team out of that. Um, by the time this by the time you listen to this podcast, they're probably gonna have made those decisions. But I mean, I think other guys that are that are probably fairly safe. You know, Brennan Othman did play in that game, but he's not going to play in their second game. So, you know, he's he's a guy that was on the team last year. You know, Zach Dean, Owen Beck, I think those guys are pretty dialed into positions. Fantilli's got to be there. Um, but then after that, you know, it's like Zach Bolduke, I think he should be in the mix. Riley Kidney, who was on the team last year, uh, got injured in the game, but he's back. He's going to be playing. Uh, Kevin Korchinski, I think you're going to see play a pretty significant role. The Chicago Blackhawks first round draft pick. Um, he will be. Um, moving to the seventh defenseman spot, which is basically, you know, we don't need to see much more from you. Carson Lambos, another guy that I think probably will end up playing with Clark on that top, on that number two pairing. Um, and then after that, Canada's got some decisions to make. They've got a lot of cuts to make as well. Um, they're going to have to 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 narrow this down pretty pretty easily. But the things that they have, they have a lot of speed. They have a lot of skill. They've, they're they're also big, and that's one of the things about USA's decor that might be a bit of a concern is that they're a bit smaller and and Canada's got some really big guys you got guys like Ostapchuk you got guys like Fantilli you know when they're coming down the down the wing Nathan Gaucher you know how are you going to be able to uh cut off the middle against those bigger stronger guys that have some speed as well that's going to be USA's challenge that's going to be everybody's challenge because I think Canada in general very strong where they're not as strong as at the goaltending position that as I mentioned that's not something that that a lot of teams are are feeling very confident about at this stage of the game, but you know I think this Canadian roster is going to be uh, good enough to kind of support their goaltenders regardless. And you know you think back to a couple of years ago, nobody really knew what was going to happen with their goaltending position. Then Devin Levi had one of the greatest performances in the history of the World Juniors by a Canadian goaltender. So will any of these four guys that are still competing for roster spots have a chance to do it? Tyler Brennan, Ben Gaudreau, Thomas Millick. And William Russo, and two of those guys drafted Brennan and Gaudreau, uh, both mid-round picks, and then Milik and Russo not drafted, but certainly uh, they have had the better numbers of the of the four goalies in camp. You look at their decor in camp for Canada as well. We talked about how USA only had two defensemen that were above six feet tall, and that well, Canada's got only above six feet tall with the exception of Olin Zellweger, who ends up being, you know, one of their best defensive best defensemen on the team, a lot of size up front too, a lot of uh, weight. So, you know, they're, they're going to be a big, heavy team and they should have designs on winning the whole thing. But again, if goaltending doesn't hold up, if they don't play disciplined enough, anything can happen. So very interesting to see where Canada falls in this tournament. But I think most of us expect them to be, one of the last two teams standing. As we look around the rest of the world, juniors, more rosters have come out. Sweden's roster's out. The Czechia just announced theirs. We're still waiting on Finland and Slovakia um, as we record this. But, you know, Sweden got, uh, uh, they've been dealt a pretty tough blow on their back end. They've had a couple of injuries to players um, that were, you know, Matthias Havilet and Elias Salomonson, uh, two guys that could have been in the mix to play for them. Uh, I think Havilid would have been a lock, but Salomonson maybe less so. But then they got the news that Simon Edmondson is not coming uh, to the World Juniors. He is not uh, leaving. 
the AHL's Grand Rapids Griffins. This is a uh, something that, that Detroit did with uh, Moritz Sider. And unfortunately, Simon Edmondson will not be playing in the World Junior Championship. And um, I think he should be, quite frankly. I mean, I totally understand the development plan for a player. You give him an opportunity to play in the AHL. You want him to get used to it. You don't want to take him out of that environment. But I think, you you know, when you're Simon Edmondson and you can pretty much be guaranteed to play 27, 28 minutes a night at the World Junior Championship, having a chance to play alongside your age group, um, I'm just surprised that that there wasn't much more push to get him uh, to go and, and to be on that team. So I think he's a heck of a prospect, uh, one of the elite young defensive players in the game today. And to not have him in this tournament is a loss. But others will be there. And Czechia is one of the teams that got a, a great boost this week. David Juracek, the first-round pick of Columbus in the last draft, is going to play at the World Junior Championship, and he is going to play a ton. He is a, a huge part of their team, and I think he can really take over games and be a significant factor. So watch out for David Juracek. They'll also get Yuri Kulich from the Buffalo Sabres. He has been playing for Rochester, scoring at a high rate. We had a question on last week's podcast. Should they be released? Yes, they should. Yes, they are. And they will be going uh, to play. And we will also get a chance to see Edward Saleh uh, or Shala at this, uh, at this tournament. He will be playing for Czechia. They've got a very good team. It is a team that I think has a chance to medal, a very realistic chance to medal in this tournament. It comes down to goaltending and the play of their defense, because I think they have some guys that can score. Will Kulich be a, a big factor? Matias Sapovliv, uh, Shala, you know, those are the guys they need to step up big time for this team and have a chance to, to but I think the Czechs very well could be that dark horse team that sneaks in, maybe even gets all the way to the gold medal game. I just don't think that they have enough firepower to contend with Canada, but at the same time, you know, do they, could they beat teams like the U.S. and Sweden and Finland? I think they have enough to at least do that, but it's going to come down to goaltending. So very fascinated by that, but it's going to be also a great year. If you are a draft watcher for the world juniors, um, you know, Will Smith should be playing for team USA, Trey Augustine, as we mentioned. So you got a couple there for Canada. You got Bedard and Fantilli, the top two prospects in this draft. You've got Leo Carlson playing for Sweden. You've got Edward Schala playing for, um, for the, for the Czechs. We expect we'll see Dalibor Dvorsky playing for Slovakia, um, you know, da- uh, Daniel Reinbacher for Austria. There are all sorts of really good players that are going to be draft first-year draft-eligible players in this tournament. It is a great showcase for that. So if you are a draft watcher, as I am, there will be so many players that you can see in this tournament trying to, to improve their stock. And one thing I will say is don't read into stats and results from the World Juniors too much when it comes to draft stock. For top guys like Bedard, Fantilli, um, Carlson, maybe a little bit more, less so than for guys like Divorce, who's going to be on a team that's kind of up against it. You know, what what are the stats? I mean, it's just what kind of roles are they going to play? How often are, you know, what what do they do in the circumstances that they're dealt? You know, those are all things that will be helpful for their draft stock. So we'll wait and see and also another another name that's not going to be in this tournament Marco Casper for Austria so that's a little bit disappointing as well um so that's not not having that uh that Austrian team um with their best is unfortunate as well but again a lot of draft guys to watch really excited to see 
how they all pan out. All right, so we're going to move into our question and answer. I got a lot of World Junior related questions. Um, also got a few that aren't World Junior related that we'll get to because I'm always happy to answer. You can always hit me up at Chris M. Peters on Twitter to get those questions in and uh, really do help. Just make sure you let me know if you would like me to answer it on the podcast because sometimes I'll just answer it right away and not even think, oh, I need this for later. So uh, if you want to uh, ask on the podcast, always happy to answer. And our first one comes from at Wills 15. And this one is, will Canada break the record for goals scored in attorney? Follow up, will Canada break the record for goals allowed in attorney? Oh boy. Well, I don't think they'll set the record for goals scored in attorney. I was trying to actually find the, the, the official number, but I mean, back in the day, the Soviet teams just absolutely trounced everyone. Um, and so that was, you know, the, the number of goals scored is going to be tougher to get. Also, Canada playing in the tougher of the two groups. I think that, you know, they, that while I do think they're going to score a heck of a lot of goals, um, I don't know if they'll necessarily score a record-setting amount of goals. I also don't think they're going to give up that as many. I, their de- their goaltending is weak, but their defense is, I really like the makeup of it. They've got puck movers. They've got guys that are going to get pucks out of the zone easily. They've got size back there. You wonder, you know, are they going to bring in more of no, like a, a big Nolan Allen as a shutdown guy? Um, you know, but then you've got all these different puck movers, Zellberger, Clark, Korchinski, Lambos. I mean, these guys can really move pucks extremely well. Um, so, you know, I think that those are guys that are going to make a, make an impact on this, on this roster in a significant way. That's going to allow them to maybe not give up so many goals. I don't think Canada's going to get, while, while I don't think they're going to be, um, you know, spotless. I, I, I do think that they're going to have, um, a chance to, uh, to, 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 to make some noise, but also to not really be so leaky because I think their decor is very strong. So Canada's just going to have the puck a whole heck of a lot too. That helps, you know, then the other team doesn't have the puck. It's kind of easy to win. Um, so that's what we, what I would expect from Canada in this tournament. Our next one comes from at NPK 88. And he asks, need to talk about the Isaac Howard snub. When you say snub, that seems to indicate that you think that he should have been on the team when he wasn't. And I don't know if you've, been tracking his season to date. I am a huge Isaac Howard fan. I want to say that right off the top. I think he is creative. He is highly skilled. He is um, a very interesting player that can help your team in a lot of ways. But if he's not in your top six, he's not on your team. And there was no way he was going to make the top six on this team. He's got six points in 16 games so far this season. It's been a real disappointing year in general for the first rounder of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, he is highly skilled, as I mentioned. I think, you know, one of the things I've always wondered is, you know, he did choose to go to Minnesota Duluth. There haven't been a lot of players like him that have gone there. That's not to say that they can't go there. They should. They're, they're a winning uh, program. But this year... UMD has really struggled and they've not been able to play to the identity that's made them so successful over the last several years. They have gotten more skilled, but they're not as tough to play against. And that's the thing about Isaac Howard. He hasn't really stood out this season. So I don't think it's a snub. He's still eligible for the team next year. I think he'll obviously be on the team next year with that year of experience. We've seen guys, you know, Johnny Goudreau did not make this team in his first year of eligibility. 
Um, and he went on an absolute tear right after that. There have been a number of guys that have done that. I hope that that's the case for Isaac Howard because it just has not clicked for him so far this season. In games that I've watched, he's been very difficult to notice, and that he is the kind of player that you should always notice because of the puck skills and the way that he's getting into the interior and different things. It's just not happening this year. So I don't think it's a snub. I think that he was correctly left off the roster. And I hope that he has a great second half of the season because I really enjoy watching the player. And I think he's a really good prospect, but not a snub for me. All right. The next one comes from Gene Parmesan. When do you think Russia will return to the tournament? Are they reinstated? Are they reinstated to the top division? Also chances for Bankier and Lambos with Canada. All right. So let's get to the first question. First part of the question first on Russia. The IHF has basically not really said a, set a definitive timeline for when Russia can return to play. I think it's pretty safe to say that, you know, the sooner the war in Ukraine ends, the better for everyone for reasons that have nothing to do with hockey. Um, but it might take that before Russia is allowed back into competition. I do think that they would be immediately inserted into the top division once they are reinstated. Um, there is so much money, and that's remember, that's what drives most things. There is so much money to be had through the Russian Hockey Federation for the IIHF. So not having them does hurt the IIHF, but having them hurts the, hurts the IIHF more in the eyes of the international community when you're allowing a, a national team representing a country that's currently, you know, there's there's aggression against a um, a sovereign nation as there has been. You, you can't you can't have those colors in your tournament. You can't have them fly that flag. That's why we're not going to have a World Cup in 2024. Is because they didn't. You know, Russia wasn't going to be a part of it. And that the thing about that is is that the thing that we don't want to have to say, but we have to say it just from a competitive standpoint. These tournaments are better with Russia in them, all of them, including the World Juniors. The competitive balance is so out of whack without Russia because we're used to having at least a big five teams. So that means that there are five teams every year. One of those five teams you can count on being, or, or four of those five teams you can pretty much count on being in the semis of the World Juniors. This year, it could be anybody. And that's okay. That's good for parity, but it's not good for the competitive balance of the tournament because Russia is always a factor in those tournaments. It's unfortunate for the players for Russia as well that are, you know they, they don't have anything to do with the war in Ukraine and they're getting punished for this. The fact that we won't be able to see Matt Vaymichkov play in a World Junior Championship anytime soon is disappointing. We did get to see him for a little bit last year when <laughs> before the World Juniors was canceled. Um, so that's another thing where... That's just the way that's just the way things are working right now. Um, but I think it's going to be some time before we see um, Russia back in the international competition. They're suspended for this year. I think they'll reevaluate in the summer. I do think that there is a potential for them to return to competition before they pull out of Ukraine, if they do ever pull out of Ukraine. Um I think that the IIHF has to tread very carefully because there would be significant backlash, not just from the public, but I think from a number of member organizations that would say, well, we're just not going to play in your tournament then. Um, so that is the other thing that has to be sorted before Russia can come back. 
But I think all of us hope for peace in Ukraine. That's got to be first and foremost. I certainly hope that that's, you know, that we're getting closer to an end there. Um, but, you know, these these things don't tend to change overnight. But I think that we will know more next summer about what will ultimately happen in the next cycle with Russia. But I, I think if things continue as they are, we probably won't see them next year either. So, uh, but, but yeah, we'll have to wait and see because, again, how long can you leave them out? And... I, I mean, I think as long as as long as it's necessary is what I would hope, but you never really know. All right. Our next question comes from Thomas, and this is actually going to allow us to get into the World Junior A Challenge. And the World Junior A Challenge is a Junior A event every year. This year, it's a five-team tournament. That's another tournament that Russia used to play in that will not be playing in it this year. Um, Sweden has sent their U18 team, as has Latvia. There's a team of USHL All-Stars and then a team of Canada East and Canada West representing Canadian Junior A-Leagues. Um, Canada West includes all leagues except for the BCHL, which is no longer part of Hockey Canada. That's why they're they're not in, in the mix. And then Canada East is all of the Junior A-Leagues throughout Eastern Canada um, from, you know, basically Ontario on over. And um, and so that tournament is, a, is always an interesting event. It's playing round-robin style to decide a semifinal. Um, but I haven't actually uh, watched this. And, and so Thomas is at his question is, Chris, have you had a chance to see any of the Junior A Challenge? If so, would love to hear about some of the Minnesota boys in the USA roster, how some of the Minnesota boys in the roster have fared. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Um, Team USA did lose to Canada West uh, 5-3 in their first game. But I will say that this tournament is always interesting because it allows players to play outside of their normal team environment, it allows them to play at a higher level of hockey, um, and it puts them into adverse situations that they might not be used to. And I, I think, you know, Team USA losing right out the gates, not a good sign for the tournament. Um, but they do have some, you know, high-quality Minnesota players, high-quality players from around. I do have on FullHockey.tv a full, um, you know, players to watch. I think uh, um, that's one of the things that, you can kind of find there about some of these players. The guys that I'm really intrigued to see in this tournament, Sam Renzel from the Waterloo Blackhawks, which if you haven't seen last week, we uh, published a feature story on Sam Renzel uh, that ran, that we uh, did over at the Fall Classic. Very exciting prospect, the first rounder of the Chicago Blackhawks, but very raw. He's still got a long development timeline ahead of him. Playing well for Waterloo this season, the USHL. We're expecting him to take another step this year. So, you know, I think that this is a great tournament for him to show kind of where he's at right now. He'll be head of the University of Minnesota next season. Another guy to keep a real close eye on, Quinn Finley, highly skilled player, playing for Madison. The Capitals have struggled mightily this year. But Quinn Finley has been a great player for them and a really highly skilled player. Um, he's getting stronger. He's getting better. I think he's a guy that's going to be exciting to watch, and he, he's a Wisconsin commit. Alex Bump, another guy that they, I think big things are expected of from this tournament, playing for the Omaha Lancers, averaging close to a point per game. So those are guys that are at the World Junior A Challenge that you, you have to hope are going to take a step this year and 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 be better than they were in that first game against Canada West. But um, I do hope to watch more of the tournament as it progresses, but I wasn't able to see uh, the first game. But thanks for the question there, Thomas. Next one comes from Tommy Enroth, and he asks, what do you think of the Erie Otters adding Andre Molnar? So Andre Molnar has been playing in uh, Slovakia for the last couple of years or last few years and also started this season with HK Nitra 
which has uh, been a, a bit of a draft hothouse lately in Slovakia. It's where Simon Nemec played. Brent Clark played there for a little bit as well. Um, and so they are a, a really good pro team. But it's very difficult for a U20 player, a U18 player in Molnar's case, to play big enough minutes to, to make an impact. But he did have five points in 22 games this season. And now he goes to Erie. And I, I, I think we've seen this before, these midseason moves. Players, you know, they're, they're trying to increase their draft stock. They're trying to get a little bit more notoriety. Molnar is a really good player. Um, I think he's, you know, probably looking at a mid-round pick right now in the NHL. But to go to the OHL, play for Erie, get a chance to maybe get a little more time and space, get more ice time, that's a good thing for him. Um, so, you know, that's a, it's a mid-season ad. It doesn't happen all the time. But when you have a chance to add a player like that, you know, you, you do it. And then now now we'll have to see. Some of those players, those moves don't go very well. And all of a sudden, they, they're, they're not used to the North American style of play. The, the, the time and space is all different. They have to get adjusted. So I'd say be patient with him. But it is a good place for him to be. Um, but also, you know, I think that even if he stayed with Nitra, he probably still would have been a mid-round pick um, because he's played well enough. So we'll see if we'll see him at the World Juniors, as well as he is uh, in the mix for the U-20 team for Slovakia. All right, our next question comes from Randall, and this one is about the AHL. (coughs) Excuse me. Haven't heard much chatter about the two potential future franchise goalies playing in the AHL this season, Askarov and Wallstedt. So any chatter insight on this would be appreciated. Well, Randall, thank you for the question, and let's get to some chatter on both goalies. Now, when a goalie makes the transition from Europe to North America, there can be a bit of an adjustment period. But I think both of these guys have done very well so far in that regard. Their numbers are not amazing, but they're good. Um, Jesper Wallstead has made 12 appearances for the Iowa Wild. He has a 900 save percentage, is 5-4-3. They're bringing him along gradually. They have veteran goalies down there as well. So it's just about him getting game reps, getting opportunities to to get a little bit of the feel for the North American game. So they're easing him into it. But I think that he's had some very strong games so far this season. He has looked like a pro. He does all the things well that you would expect to see. He's played extremely well um, in, in, in a lot of games so far this season. The AHL is a difficult league for goalies to, to put up big numbers in. It's why when we see guys like Andre Vasilevsky do it back in the day, you're saying, wow, this could be a very special player. But I think that for his first season, Wallstead is looking great. And there is no rush, no need to bring him to the NHL roster. Let him take his time. And I think that's what they're doing in Iowa. So he's been playing well, not amazing. And that's fine. That's a good spot for him to be. He could very well be. You know, in Iowa this year, in Iowa next year, um, he's got lots of time. This is a guy that was playing at the World Juniors last year. He's got lots of time. Goalies take a little bit longer, but he has such tremendous technique, such good technical skill as well, um, and just a great feel for the game. So I'm really excited about him and where he's going. I think that that'll be fine. I I haven't had a chance to see him live yet this year, um, but outside of seeing him at the World Juniors in the summer, but I'm really excited about where he's headed. Meanwhile, Yaroslav Askarov has had a better season. He's made 16 appearances for the Milwaukee Admirals, Nashville, uh, the Nashville Predators' first-round pick, a 918 save percentage, an 11-4-1 record. He, the thing that Askarov needed more than anything else in the world was reps. He has been buried in Russia. Uh, he wasn't getting enough playing time, and that, you hope, wouldn't stagnate his development. 
If you follow me or follow this podcast for a long time, you know that I am a big believer in Yaroslav Askarov. I thought, you know, he he was a guy I had way up in my draft rankings. He's a guy that I continue to have ranked very highly because I believe that he's going to be a number one goalie in the NHL. He's got size. He's got he's got the uh, explosiveness. He's got speed. What he hasn't had is just that predictable nature of you know sharpness of you know not getting too lost in his net. Like he can be wild. But I think this year, and I haven't seen a ton of Askarov games this year, but just judging by the little that I have seen, and then also the numbers that he's putting up. He is making the transition and playing extremely well. And the biggest thing that he needs is continuing to play as many games as humanly possible. The more games he plays, the better he's going to be, the better he's going to be able to, to make an impact at the next level. So I think that he's a guy that I will be keeping a tremendously close eye on once he comes to, uh, down. I'm hoping that I'll get a chance to see both uh, him and, and Askarov uh, and Wallstedt rather um, there. Also wanted to take a quick second to point out, too, that Sebastian Kosa, another first-round goalie draft pick, he's been playing a lot for the Toledo Walleye in the ECHL, and that's because you know uh, the Red Wings have had a, a stacked-up goalie situation where they've just got a ton of goalies right now. And that's had Kosa playing in the ECHL. Now, his numbers, you're, you're not going to be blown away by them, but I've watched several of his games, and I am certainly excited about where he is at right now. I think that he's got the quickness, the explosiveness post to post. He's got, you know, he, he just never quits on a puck. And as he gets refined in his in, in, in understanding of how to play at the pro level and, and processing the game at a pro pace, I think the sky is the limit for him. His potential is huge. Detroit is slow playing his development. They're having him play in the ECHL right now. I think we'll see him get some AHL games in the second half of the season. But I'm telling you right now, the games that I've watched when he's played for the Toledo Walleye, and again, you can watch those on Flow Hockey on ECHL. Uh, the ECHL is on Flow Hockey. Keep an eye on him because he is absolutely electric when he's out there, and I, I think we've seen some really good games from Sebastian Kosa so far this season. Well, let's close this one out with a little bit of frivolity and a little bit of fun. Uh, as my good pal David Fine sends in, you are trapped on an island for a year and can only bring one movie. You have to watch this movie every night while you're trapped. Which movie are you bringing? David, thank you for this question. I've been asked this before, I think. Maybe not on the podcast, but in life. And for whatever reason, the answer I will continue to give for the rest of my life is Anchorman. It is one of my favorite movies of all time. It is comfort. It is comedy. It is Will Ferrell. It is Paul Rudd. It is Steve Carell, Dave Koechner. I mean, all just at the peak of their powers and bring in the heat every single scene. And I love that movie so much. And uh, for, I think, like maybe the last two or three years of, high, of college, I went as Ron Burgundy uh, every Halloween. And, we'll continue, and I may have to do that again sometime because I think we got to bring him back. But I did talk in the Ron Burgundy voice a lot. Um, in college, which I think was really annoying to my roommates and uh, also my now wife. So it worked out in that regard. I, you know, still was able to to keep the girl despite my uh, annoying habits. But, uh, but yeah, that's a that's a good line of questioning uh, because uh, I I mean it's a great time. Uh, hopefully, you guys get a chance to settle down a little bit as the holidays kind of the hustle and bustle go. Watch plenty of movies. Got to watch uh, Christmas Vacation and everything else. 
uh, because uh, it's that time of year. And not only that, it's World Juniors. So, I mean, it just does not get better than this. I love December. I think that the uh, the holiday season mixed with the World Junior season, just the excitement level is way too high right now. And I can't wait to get out there. Well, that is all the questions that I have for today. And I do hope that you will come back next week because we are going to do a team-by-team look at the World Junior Championship. I may have a guest to help me do that because that would be a lot of talking. We are going to go really in-depth on the World Juniors next week to get you prepared for the tournament. And then I will be heading out. So uh, when the tournament begins, we won't have uh, an episode then because I will be traveling. But uh, while I'm on the road, we will continue the podcast and we will do more uh, throughout the tournament. You'll be able to follow all of my coverage on Flow Hockey. So make sure you get to flowhockey.tv. You'll see plenty of stories on the entire season to date and much about the NHL draft and the World Junior Championship. So much coming for you. Cannot wait to bring it all to you and a lot more coming as well. So everything is happening. It is December. It is fun. But that's going to do it for this week's episode. My thanks to Colt Joyce for producing this episode. We are part of the Flow Sports Podcast Network. And make sure you are subscribing to all our great podcasts about all the sports that you love. It's been an absolute blast to bring Talking Hockey Sense to you throughout the year. We're just getting started, folks. Lots more to go. I cannot wait for next week's episode when we break down the entire World Junior Championship. But for now, that is going to do it. My name is Chris Peters. This is Talking Hockey Sense. We'll catch you next time. 